So we are entering into the um, Christmas season. There's been some false starts I've heard out of your own mouth that Christmas has begun three weeks ago, and it did not. <laughs> and now has begun the Christmas season. And we sing a song called Silent Night. Y'all know this song. I will spare everyone. Um, but it's about this night, right? This infamous night where Christ, the Son of God, God was, bo- God was born, which is, that's a theological mind jump, right? God was born. But before that night, there was about 400 years of silent nights where God didn't speak, or at least nothing recorded that God was doing. He was silent. So I've entitled this sermon this morning, Silent Days and Nights. Silent Days and Nights. And I don't know about you, but I've gone through seasons where I haven't heard God. I haven't seen Him move. I haven't... um, Receive the answer to my prayers. Now, there's different types of waiting. If y'all, if y'all know this, right? There's, there's waiting for your friend or your spouse or your parent to get in the car because you're late. Right, has that ever happened to anybody? So there's that kind of waiting. Like there's, a, there's just a little bit of discomfort, but you know it's coming, right? Then there's, there's waiting for someone to respond to a DM or a text message, right? where you constantly look like, I know they got it. It says red, you know. <laughs> Y'all have had those kind of waiting moments. And then there's waitings, more, more significant waiting, waiting for a miracle. Maybe, maybe a prayer you've prayed that hasn't been answered that, that could change your life and you're believing God for. There's parts um, of our testimonies even where we're crying out to God and God comes through in these areas but not in these. And so they're waiting. And this morning, I want to look, go, uh, we're going to look at a man who can relate to us. His life didn't look like he expected it. He had been waiting a long time, and prayers to be answered when God finally did. He wasn't ready. Isn't that funny? Your prayer, I've heard your prayers. Which one? You know, which one was that? I forgot. He wasn't ready. And yet God disciplines him for his lack of faith. And then moves from there. So we're, we are this morning in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read. This is a story, so it's a chunk. But stay with me this morning. Amen? Can y'all do that? Yes, sir. All right. Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And I wonder what our testimony is. I kind of feel bad for these people that God sums up their story in a paragraph, you know. And here's their story. Man, they were righteous and good, but this. What's, what's your testimony but this? We all have a but in our testimony, don't we? We have a but in our lives. We were, he was righteous and good, but he was barren and he was old, and it was probably he's too far gone. Tired. That's right. And now he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And this was an honor. Uh, most priests would never have this honor. But by lot, he'd won, literally won the lottery to go before the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of the incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he fell down, and and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, 
He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people, the Lord, the people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am old, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. It's probably not a good setup, right? I I don't know if you know who I am. I stand before God, right? My name is Gabriel. And Zechariah would know this is the Gabriel of Daniel. He'd studied the scriptures. This was a big deal. And I sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day of these things come to pass. Because you did not believe my words, which were to be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah. They wondered at his delay. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service had ended, he went home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. In five months, she remained in hiding. She bore a son. And we're going to get on to the rest of the story later. But I want to look into this story this morning. And I want us to see that this is a story of God's provision of power in various forms that were available to Zechariah and are available to us today. God's provision of power that showed itself to Zechariah and are available for us today. Because I don't know about you, but I've been in moments of silence. I've been in moments of waiting. I've been in moments of uh, disappointment. What's available to us? How do we get through these seasons? The first thing I want to show you this morning from this passage is the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish His purpose. The power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his purpose. His purpose. Luke is writing a story to, he, and I quote, the most excellent Theophilus, which I'm guessing is kind of a flowery language for someone important. So Luke is writing a story to someone important. And this whole chapter, it's amazing to me, we study, at, at, uh, we, we celebrate at Christmas But do we know what we're celebrating? Have we dug into what's really going on? Luke is writing two books here. He writes Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts. He wrote both. They're both about the same length. Probably because of the papyrus was about that size, so he ran out of room, right? He wrote Luke, and then he wrote Acts. And by sheer volume, Luke writes more of the Bible than even Paul. And so Luke is writing this to Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, and he fills chapter 1 with all of this extravagant goings-on. Like if I'm writing to somebody important, probably would have slowly like weighed the waters into like angels showed up, you know, um, had this vision, right? Immaculate conceptions, um, all these real supernatural, maybe even you would say paranormal beyond the normal activity of things. And Luke is embedding this chapter in this story, this Christmas story. It's a miracle. It's supernatural power. And he doesn't shy away from it. If you and I maybe have been written this, we would have shied away, but not Paul. This is supernatural, heaven-invading, powerful, history-shaping story. Luke will not de-emphasize this. He he cannot. God's plans prevail. And what he's saying is that God is doing something in human history. And it's it's new, but it's not new. In fact, this very story mirrors a picture of God showing up to Abraham. If y'all remember this story back in Genesis. God shows up to Abraham. You're going to have a son. He goes, ain't no way. In fact, Zechariah quotes, how will I know? This is Abraham's quote. This is a supernatural moment. I think about this. Maybe some of the reason, maybe, some of the reason we aren't experiencing God and hearing His voice, we are experiencing silent days and nights, is because we're, God is speaking, but we're not walking on the mission with Him. 
God's working. God's a missional God. The Holy Spirit has an agenda. And that's to glorify Jesus. And many times we don't hear God or maybe we aren't experiencing God and we aren't seeing His move because we're not doing what He's doing. Maybe. Now, there are seasons you serve the Lord wholeheartedly and there is silent. I get that. In fact, Zechariah was faithful, righteous in all his, all his ways. He and his wife. Silent for him for a period of time. So that's, that's possible. But we serve a God who speaks by the Spirit. And maybe some of our lack of hearing God is because we're not a part of what God's doing. We haven't. Now, that might not mean any change for you, but a mentality. Doesn't mean, I'm not saying you can't have a job, work hard, do it all. But why are you doing it? Are you being a part of God's breaking in from heaven to earth? Are you a part of helping others know this God who's changed your life? I think about this, this scenario. I was thinking about this this morning. And sometimes when you communicate things, and maybe when you were a child and, and you were growing up and your parents communicated something to you, you were so distracted you didn't really hear. But I just remember, you know, walking in and maybe a parent would say, hey, dinner's on the counter or lunch is on the counter, right? I want you to clean the dishes, okay? I'm going to go out for an errand and I'll be back. I'm just fake scenario. <laughs> All hypothetical. And so you do this scenario and then you come back and your child looks at you and says, man, I'm starving. What are you talking about? I'm hungry. Where, where have you been? Well, I, remember I told you to do the dishes? Yeah. Well, if you'd have done the dishes, you would have stumbled over a meal. Like it was like right there. You, you could not have done the dishes without the food slapping you in the face. And I feel like sometimes this is us, man. We, we're so busy doing our things, distracted in our ways. God has got this plate of food for us. But because we aren't doing what he's asked us to do, why, where are you, God? It's on the counter, bro. Just go over and start doing what I've asked you to do, and the food will hit you. Oh, I forgot this was here. Yes, and he's so faithful to put his provision right in the way of his, of his mission. Maybe. Now, again, this doesn't mean uh, this is a, a career change for you. It just means, God, how do you want me to push forward your will in the earth through the calling that you've given me or through the gift of this job? or for, through this family, or for, through this community. We believe that God can and does break in and perform miraculous healings, speak through dreams and visions, perform supernatural pregnancies, speak to people of power to do amazing things, speak to people of means to give beyond our wildest imagination. This all happened in the Christmas story. And if God does it then, he wants to do it now. So ask ourselves this morning, am I on mission with Jesus to help him bring forth his kingdom, to help others follow him and come to know him? Am I, am I a part of that? Or am I approaching my work in a way that I see it through the vision of heaven? that God wants to use this for his glory? Am I, that's just a question we have to ask ourselves this morning. Because mission, if we're on mission with Jesus, he'll speak to us. Amen? Doesn't mean you don't have seasons. But eventually, you'll stumble in to his words. Amen? Second thing we see here, this is exciting, the power of his discipline. The power of his discipline. See, Zechariah's lack of faith is discipline here. You see this? I'm going to ask you to be quiet. No, you will be quiet for nine months. Now, most theologians believe this is, and historians, this isn't just mute, this is deaf. And because when John the Baptist is born, it says they signed to him to say, hey, what's his name? You don't sign to someone who can hear. 
So he probably didn't, couldn't hear or speak. It's amazing how your world slows down when you can't hear or speak. And so this is God bringing discipline. God bringing discipline. But this discipline, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's, let's just read what God says about discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? Right? You're, you're his. When you come to Christ, you put faith that Jesus died for your sins, that God did in Christ what you could not do. You put faith in him. He does a change on the inside immediately and then works that change out of your life for the rest of your life. Okay, That's the gospel. And you are sons and daughters by faith. And listen to what he says about his sons and daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have endured. Or one version says, treat hardship as discipline. Which means when you're going through something hard, treat it like you're supposed to learn something through it. That's what he's saying. You're supposed to. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all are, have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So just think about that. Discipline isn't like, I mean, discipline can take lots of forms, right? I grew up, discipline meant one thing, right? That's what discipline was. But discipline can just be correction. It can be, hey, that's not this. Let's don't do this. Let's do this, right? Here's some consequences from some decisions you made. All of that can be discipline, right? It's a wide variety of things. But what is it saying? You're thinking and doing something that needs correction, Right? This presupposes that we don't see clearly, perfectly. We don't do everything right all the time. And that we need outside adjustment. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. That, that's, we believe the Bible here. And what that says about us is that each one of us is born with a bent towards sin and evil. And so Jesus changes us, but that process isn't overnight. That takes time. And it takes us seeing the world as he sees it. It takes the people of God lovingly bringing correction, speaking the truth in love, and then helping that adjust how we think and how we behave. Okay? That's discipline. And if we're not receiving that, we're illegitimate sons, which means we probably don't know the God who loves us. Because if he, if we knew him, he would be correcting you. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. I'm going to tell you, there's no man on this planet I respect more than my dad. There's not. Because he disciplined me. And I just want to encourage you, parents, you're... Obviously, this is in love, and I'm just, your children will respect you yes, if do. you discipline yes, them. They, they will not respect you if you don't. Okay? Now, however that works out in your home, I'm not telling you how to do that this morning. That's a different seminar. <laughs> but they will respect you yes. when you bring discipline. Okay? I lost my place. <laughs> for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. They're not always right. My dad was not always right, contrary to his opinion. <laughs> right? But respect was there. But he disciplined us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. You see that? So it's not discipline 
if it's not painful. And I'm not talking about physically. I'm just, follow me. For the moment of all discipline seems painful. So it, it hurts our hearts. It hurts our minds. It hurts our souls. Sometimes it does hurt physically. I've been disciplined by the Lord and it was painful. Okay? Rather than pleasant, but later it yield. What does it yield? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. To those who have been trained by it. Now look at here. Zechariah, okay, could have made a case. Y'all ever do this to your parents? I know I did it to mine. Of why I shouldn't be disciplined. The way they were going to discipline me. I know, Tim and I, didn't we? Usually pointing at each other. But him, you know. Now listen to this. A case can be made that the discipline to Zechariah wasn't fair. A case can be made. I mean, look at Mary. She said the exact same thing. She, he literally, they asked the same question. Mary got an answer. Zechariah got discipline. A case can be made. And yet, if Zechariah gets caught up in whether or not something should have been done, or if it was fair, or if he pouts, he gets depressed, which he probably did for a while, but nine months will kind of help you think. And then he would have missed the whole point. And here's the point. Treating enduring situation as discipline. And I got this from Tim and, and some others who've been listening to a guy named Jamie Winship. Instead of saying why, ask, what do you want me to know, God? What do you want me to do? Because here's the reality here. The discipline of the Lord wasn't about setting aside. It was about setting up. You see that? The rest of this story is amazing. Zechariah gets put, I mean, there's nothing like deaf and mute to kind of be an outcast. He got nine months to think a lot. But that wasn't for him to be pushed over. That was for him to then rise to his place at the right time. What's his name? His name is John. And then out of his mouth comes a song we're still singing today. We'll read it in a minute. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. The wisest person in the world said this. Proverbs 12.1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Oh. Yeah, that was in there. Okay. Just making sure. Now, Zechariah wasn't being set aside. He was being set up. He was like, man, I'm just going to give you some time so that you can adjust because you need some adjusting so that when you rise, you'll rise with the word of the Lord. Okay, so when we go through hard times, we go through difficult situations, we're going through hardship, treat it as discipline. Okay, Lord. All right, what are you trying to adjust in me right here? Okay, now... Again, I've said this from the pulpit because you, you think I'm just saying it. It's true. I don't like hard times. I look, have all kinds of ways to blame someone else for what I'm going through. To, to pout. To Yes, 40-year-old men can pout, right? Wives, right? Uh-huh, they can. And so we can pout. We can get upset. But then we would miss what God's trying to do in the moment. The power of discipline is to shift you from a, from a trajectory of faithlessness, which Zechariah was in, without faith, to a trajectory of faithfulness to raise up the next generation to fulfill their calling. Do you see that? Yeah. Zechariah was headed in a way, he was faithful, he was good, he was righteous, but he still needed adjusting. And that adjustment set him up to raise up the next generation. That's the power of discipline. And praise God for it. Number three, the power of the tongue. Now, before we jump back into that, I'm gonna, I lost my pages. Hold on. The power of the tongue. Now, they said, don't name him John because y'all don't have any relatives named John. What's his name? His name is John. And then all of a sudden, verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed. 
and he spoke blessing, God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all those who were talked. All and all these things were talked about throughout the, the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he, he has visited and redeemed his people. You understand, an angel shows up to Zechariah, tells him what's going to happen. He can't believe. But now he's to the place that he's actually speaking of it in past tense, like it's already happened. Yeah. It hadn't even happened yet. And he's like, oh, he's redeemed us. Because he's seeing through the eyes of faith. He sees the end from where he is. And he's prophesying it out loud. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. How would that be? Without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you, go poor, you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. I love this. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide your feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was delivered until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Here's what we see. Why does God say, you be quiet? Why do, of all the ways to discipline Zechariah, why does he choose that one? In Acts 13, and Luke is funny about this, he loves the miraculous discipline. In Acts 13, there was a guy, I think his name was Bar-Jesus, and Paul says, Basically, you're of the devil, you be quiet. And this cloud, and the brother's blind. He says, you won't see the light of day for a season. And then he couldn't, he was blind. So God could have disciplined him anyway. Why the mouth? Because the mouth has power to unleash seeds, faith, or fires of destruction. Listen to this in James chapter 3. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are given to strong winds, are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a small rudder. I think a rudder is like 2% of the surface area of a ship. 2%. They are guided by a small rudder wherever the will of the pirate direct. Pilate direct. Pirate, come on, pirate. All, all, pirates and pilots, all of them. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. I was in Peru. I was on a mission trip, and we had served a number of days. We were speaking at high schools and middle schools um, and doing some ministry. And then we got a day of, like, kind of fun. We got to do some fun things. And one of those days, they put us on some horses, and we traveled around the valley. And, I, I mean, I don't know if you've been around horses. Some of y'all love horses. They're big animals. And anything bigger than me that can destroy me, I'm a little bit wary of, you know. And so when you look at a horse and he's here and his leg is as big as your body, that always made me a little nervous. So we ride this horse and, you know, we're just walking and, you know, the, the village children are kind of following us, leading the way. And then all of a sudden you see these couple of these boys get a look in their eye and a couple of them picked up a rock and they started swatting these horses in the rear and throwing rocks at their feet and they just took off. And I'm like, this is not what I signed up for, you know. <laughs> And I'm going, baby. And then I'm just like, 
we, we turn a corner and there was this particular house at this corner in the street where these branches were growing horizontally out. Right about the, the height of a horse. You get my drift? So we turn a corner and literally bushes, like bam. So I'm like going like this to avoid. I'm pretty good, like I'm quick, but I'm on a horse. So I'm like slowly falling. And I, these little Peruvian boys are holding me up while they're running with the horse. I'm like, don't let go, you know. I made it. There's nothing, there's nothing so victorious, like eight-year-old children holding you up while you're trying not to fall off a horse. But you know what? If I'd only known how to use a bit and bridle, this is what this looks like. This is Halle Bass's, I think. You see this? This right here, this is the bit. That's small. But this can turn a 1,000-pound animal. 400 pounds, 800, I don't know how big they are. The one I was on had to be at least 2,000 pounds. 18 hands tall, whatever that is. So, but you put that in a horse, right? That's small. But you can direct that horse with this small thing. But the problem is, I didn't know how to use it, right? True story. Here's the thing. There are strong winds that push our ship. There are rocks and switches and children driving you forward into where you don't want to go. And God has given us God has given us resources that come out of our mouth to steer the ship. So think about that. There are feelings, emotions, attractions, temptations that are pulling you where you don't want to go. And they are strong, really strong. And there is power that comes out of our mouth that can direct that thing, whatever it is, we all have it. And you know what? Nobody in this room that doesn't have things, they don't want to drive them to go where they don't want to go. There's no one here. So all of us are in that boat. You know, we know what that feels like, right? Might be fear. Might be anxiety. Might be sexual temptation. Might be a, a whole litany of things. Dependence on substances that drive us, but there's power in what comes out of our mouths because, did you catch that? The tongue directs. Two out of those three metaphors from, from James, rudders and bits, both of those direct. You see that? The tongue can direct. Now, you might say something and say, well, that didn't work. The first time I pulled on that horse, he looked at me and said, ha! And he kept running, right? But if I know anything about horses, if I had some experience and someone had taught me how to do it, I probably would have pulled a little harder, right? I would have done something different and gotten a result. But it's not, it's consistent training to speak to shift the direction. Okay, I'm just, the tongue directs wherever the pilot wants to go. Okay, so it's important we speak. We'll get to what we speak next, but listen to this. The tongue also destroys. The tongue directs and the tongue destroys. Can, it has the power to do it. How great a farce is set ablaze by a small fire. This actually brings me back to a passage in, in Numbers chapter 11. The Israelites are in the desert. They're not, things aren't going well. And they're not going where they want to go. Okay? And they're upset and they're letting God know about it. You ever done that? Okay? <laughs> this is chapter 11, verse 1 and 3. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, 
And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. Let's just stop right there. There is someone in your corner who can stand before God Almighty and cause the fires to die down. We've all started fires, y'all. Probably started a couple this week. Right? And we have the God-man Jesus who stands. He's the greater Moses who can quench the fires that you've started. Praise God for that. But let's not negate the fact that the fires were started. And let's don't start them again. So the name of that place was called Terabah or Taborah because the fire of the Lord burned against them. What's the point? Our complaining starts fires. And we have a greater one to quench fires, but let me just help us. Let's, don't, let's start as little fires as we can. All right? The tongue directs and the tongue can destroy. So why is Zechariah quiet? Because God didn't want him to spoil what he was doing. So he steps in and says, you be quiet. You can't talk because when you're going to talk, it is not going to be the voice of faith that we need in this moment. Now, in this need about God, in this need, he still did his will and his purpose. You can't stop God doing what he's going to do. Okay? He still did it. Well, you didn't have the faith and therefore John, no, John was still born. Right? And he prepared Zechariah to be a part of what he was going to do. So that's encouraging for me, right? Because I've been Zechariah before. The very thing that Zechariah was probably ashamed of, his barrenness, and now his faithlessness, is the very thing that God's going to use at the end of the chapter. So that but in your testimony... We, we, we talked about it earlier. She was righteous before the Lord, but da, 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 da. that thing is the very thing that God wants to use at the end of the chapter. That thing that hurt you, that thing that you did, that thing a part of your story that you think disqualifies you is the very thing that God's going to use in your life to bless others. You be quiet so that when you speak, things happen. Powerful. God, help us. Because we're going to take that butt and we're going to sit on the sidelines and say, God doesn't want to use me anymore. And God's like, no. I want to use you in that thing. So come over here and speak. Come over here and be a part of what I want to do. Well, I can't talk. Yeah, but when you do, it's going to be powerful. It brings me to this last piece. It's related. I'm going to anchor what I said because I know some of us are like, are you talking about manifesting your destiny? by what? No, not at all. Not at all. Because what does Zechariah say? That brings me to the last point, the power of Scripture. In this 14 verses, there are direct quotes and allusions to 16 different verses in the Old Testament. From Genesis, Psalms, Kings, Samuel, Ezekiel, Michael, Leviticus, Zephaniah, Malachi, Isaiah. Out of Zach, it's interesting when you can't talk or hear, you do a lot of reading. Now, hold on now. What did I pray? What is God going to do again? And he is putting all these pieces together from the scripture to speak a reality that God's already doing and has already done. He's saturating his life in scripture so that when he interprets what's going on, he's interpreting God's purposes. Not just grabbing things out of thin air. He's speaking the word. Jesus fought off his enemy, the devil, in hour of temptation by speaking the word. By speaking the word. Your tongue alone is not going to do anything but start fires. But your tongue rooted in scripture unleashes heaven. God's will. He's speaking the word. Scripture does a couple things for us from this passage alone. Let's look what it does. Scripture gives context to your story. 
Scripture gives context to your story. What am I going through? Where am I going? Scripture helps define you, define you and what you're going through through the lens of heaven. You might say, why am I like this? Well, Scripture tells you you're like this because you're a sinner from your birth. You desire and think about things and are tempted to do things because you're a sinner and you need a Savior. You're not God. And sin has twisted you to your core and has bitten you to do evil things. Now, you're also created in the image of God. And God can use you and does use all human beings for all time to do good in the earth because you are imago Dei, created in the image of God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you carry his image with you. So you're beautiful and terrible all at the same time. Now, how do I, that is a biblical view at Blake Dameron when I look in the mirror. It encourages me to know that God loves me and has fashioned me and I have great capacity to create and do beautiful things. And I'm selfish and wicked and have great capacity in the wrong moment to do horrible things. And so I'm no greater than anyone in this room or any villain of human history, right? And as last week, Justin said, that dichotomy flows through every human heart. Now, I'm interpreting my reality because that's how God interpreted it for me. And you know what? It makes a lot of sense. When I see evil come out of my heart, I'm not shocked. <gasps> how can I do that? I'm a good person. <laughs> right? There's nothing demoralizing, right? Um, that I've, I think I'm great all the time and special. When sin comes up, my whole world falls apart. But if I don't know, no, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm evil. But God is greater. And I can lean on Him. And I can lay my insecurities, my fears, my things at His feet because He's bigger than I am. And He's made provision for this. He's made provision for all of this so I can walk with God. And when someone does something beautiful, I don't raise them up as God or worship them. I say, no, they're evil just like me. But God has used them for greatness. Amen? So Scripture gives us context to your story. Scripture gives us fuel for our faith. We already said this, so I won't spend a lot of time. Zechariah was unable to believe, and then by the end, he was speaking things that hadn't even happened as if they already happened. That's a faith jump. How did that happen? Because Scripture builds your faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of God, Romans 10. If you see that you don't have a lot of faith, welcome. You're in good company, Right? There are areas of my life I still don't have faith for. Can I be vulnerable? I'm on a journey of faith. And this is a safe place to say, I don't know if I can believe that. Amen. Let's don't stay there, but let's, it's okay to admit that. And now we let the word saturate our minds and our hearts. We get, in, we get in avenues like this to hear the word. We get in the presence of God. We see things differently. There's nothing like the presence of God to say, you need to give even though you don't have any money. No. No. But then the presence of God says, okay, I can do it. I can do it. I can do this in faith because you're good. And you've shown yourself time and time again. And I'm here not because I don't have enough, but because I have been a, done a good job, bad job planning my finances. Right? Let's just be honest. I'm not poor. There it is. It's all, it just went out a lot faster than it came in. And so now I've got to do some work, right? I'm on a journey, but I'm also on a journey of faith to believe. So there it is. Scripture gives fuel to your faith. Scripture gives an anchor for your soul, an anchor for your soul in a culture that tells us to make decisions and to in, identify and to uh, live based on how you feel and what your heart is telling you, whatever the heart is, usually that means your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Whatever that's telling you must be right. Follow your heart. That's what the culture tells us, right? So literally, we're called to really identify with how we feel so we'll know what to do. And honestly, that's bad advice in any other arena of life. If you're really emotional, you shouldn't make any decisions. You should take a step back. 
Ask for perspective. Ask a mentor. Pray. What should I do, right? What does scripture say? So scripture anchors the soul. It helps me interpret reality. What's real and what's not real. Did y'all know scripture says this? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. I could, you could say it this way. There is a way that feels right. There's a way that feels right, but in the end it leads to death. Then how do I know what to do? Because sometimes I feel and it's God. And sometimes I feel and it's the devil. Amen? Sometimes I feel and it's just Blake. He wants that third donut. Right? That's a fear. So how do, I, how do I delineate between those three things? Well, the scripture helps me. The scripture helps me. Right? And then finally, scripture gives us a standard to hear his voice. How do I know it's God? How do I hear his voice? If you'll listen to scripture and saturate yourself around the word, you'll, get, you'll hear his voice. And then when he speaks outside of scripture, as long as it doesn't violate scripture or good biblical counsel, then it's probably the Lord, right? It's okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay, that sounds like the Lord. Michelle, is this the Lord? No, that ain't the Lord, okay. Let's go back, let's pray. Okay, Michelle, is this the Lord? I think this is the Lord. Okay, then let's walk into this, amen, together. Michelle's my wife, by the way. (laughs) Some people get confused because there's an Allison Dameron on staff that's my sister-in-law. Okay. Michelle's my wife. All right. Let's wrap this up. Amen? Let's stand to our feet as we close. Zechariah's song about and to his son was a part of the orchestra, the symphony of God's voice into that situation. Zechariah got to play his part of a beautiful song. It wasn't without sin. It wasn't without faithful, faithlessness. It was, it was a, like all of us, it was a stumbling forward and it was beautiful in God's sight because of his grace and his mercy. So Zechariah got to play a part in the story God's telling, this Christmas story. I want us this morning to imagine with me, imagine the role God wants you to play in the story he's telling. Because all of us have a part to play. You're here on this planet because God has a part for you to play. Okay? He loves you very much. In fact, He broke into our universe. Jesus broke into our universe because He loves us and wanted to save us from the devil within and the devil without. The selfishness within and the selfishness out there. Jesus broke in to make wrong things right. So he loves us and he wants to play. So imagine with me, what kind of beauty does God want to use you to create? This was a song. It was poetry. It was art. God is creator. And we are made in the image of God and God wants to create through us. Okay? What might he want to do through you? There's always a but, a part about your story. God wants to redeem that along the way. He wants to work in you so that he can work through you to a greater degree. Now, he doesn't wait till you're all cleaned up to use you. He uses you along the way. Praise God. But he's using you through you and he's using you with you. And there's a story he's telling. Some of us in here this morning are going through hard times. I don't know why. But here's what I know. If God causes all things to work together for good, if you love him and are called according to his purpose, which means whatever you're dealing with, God can use it for his glory. 
That doesn't mean he causes all things, but he will take all things and use them for his glory. So this morning, let's lay that before the Lord. What do you want me to hear, Lord? What do you want me to, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? I want to serve you. And we'll be amazed at the songs that will come out of this house in the city, in West Greenville, at East Carolina University, at Pitt Community College, at, at Rose and Conley and South Central, the songs that want to come out of the people of God. Imperfect, flawed vessels that God's recruiting into his story. Amen? Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. Be a part of what you're doing. Lord, if we're going through a hard time and we don't understand, I pray that you would help us fall on you and trust you knowing that in the end, you'll make all things right. There are some questions we will not get answers to this side of heaven, Lord, and, and you're helping us be okay with that. I pray that you would. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of faith, that we would be people of faith, Lord, that out of our mouths would be faith talk. In Jesus' name. Father, and finally, I just pray that this Christmas season that you would draw us closer to you. Maybe turn off the noise, close our mouths, and help us get alone with you a little bit more this Christmas season. We wouldn't be swept away by the busyness and the distractions, Lord. But we'd get a word in our hearts so that we could speak it at the right time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for joining us online. If you weren't able to be present with us, turn around and greet someone as, you, as we leave. And then we're going to have the altar open. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you for anything you're walking through this morning.